Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek podcast. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who happen to have children on the autism spectrum. Join me, Elizabeth, and my co-host Vicki as each week we talk about Star Trek episodes, both new and old. Are you ready for the adventure? Come join us on Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're talking about Menagerie Part 2 as part of our ongoing series looking at the background and life of Captain Christopher Pike. So this is the second half of the two-part episode Menagerie, which was built on the previously unaired pilot for Star Trek, The Cage, which then was very cleverly woven into a two-part episode in the first season of Star Trek when it aired in 1966-67. So now we're going to talk about Menagerie Part 2. And what do you think of this episode, Okay, so you have to bear with me a minute, just so what I'm thinking in my head makes sense to what's coming out of my mouth. (laughs) As I said in earlier episodes, this was always one of my favorite TOS episodes. But when I was old enough to think about it, what confused me about this episode, and this is probably just me, is how Spock is willing to do all the things. He's going against his Vulcan and Starfleet principles to help Pike. So again, could be just me. I didn't think at this point in the original series, he would have done any of this for Kirk. The relationship was not fully developed as it became later on. Yes. I agree. And later on, I could see him doing all this for Kirk. And he does. When you look at the movies, for example, um, Undiscovered Country has Spock behaving in in a way similar to this. Yeah. So if it were Kirk he was trying to help at this point of the series, I think he would have still tried to work within the system. Yes. So for me, Star Trek always treated the Kirk-Spock relationship as a rarity, like an anomaly. So because in my mind, that relationship was always treated as something that never should have happened due to the nature of both species, I always found it a little bit confusing why Spock broke all the rules for Pike. And yeah, we could say loyalty to his former captain, but this whole scenario was based on nothing but emotion, and I never understood that really. And if it were later in the series, and he was trying to help Kirk, and he was doing all this stuff, I wouldn't have questioned it. But now, Strange New Worlds is showing us the relationship of Pike and Spock. And we know that this relationship with Kirk was not a one-time oddity, and I like that. It makes the menagerie make more sense to me. Okay, but I'm going to offer you a counterpoint to that. Okay. But finish your thought. Well, I just don't know if it was purposeful, but if you have a counterpoint, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's just in my head. No, I think you raise a very good point. And all I'm going to do is offer a counterpoint just for the sake of conversation. I'm not going to say I actually believe my counterpoint. So here it goes. I actually, and I'm willing to be talked out of this. Okay. believe that the relationship between Kirk and Spock is a friendship. And the relationship between Spock and Pike is a mentor-mentee relationship. So the dynamics are slightly different. Yeah, and that could be. But my confusion... I mean, obviously, when I first watched this, it came out when I was six or something. I didn't think about it. But later on, as I grew older, I always wondered because it went so much against the Vulcan and Spock. Yeah. Like, he would never do these things. And having watched all the other episodes and the movies later on, I knew that he would do this for Kirk later on. Yes. But And I agree. It never made sense to me why he would do all these things for Pike. Because in my mind, the Spock and Kirk friendship was something that wasn't supposed to happen. And that 
that was what was, was so great about it, was that it was sort of like an oddity and we weren't supposed to get that. Or that wasn't supposed to happen between a Vulcan yeah. and a human. Yeah, I see what you're saying, that he's a mentor. But I think there's also some gratitude there that we didn't know about. Yes. Because as we learned, Pike takes his place. Yes. And saves him, which we didn't know in this episode. So that's what I mean. I don't know if this was purposeful to show us this relationship that I didn't understand in this episode, or if it's just a coincidence that Strange New Worlds made me understand this relationship. No, I would guess it was purposeful because Strange New Worlds has shown so far so much love for the original material related to Pike and so much consistency with the original material related to Pike that I would guess you're completely right on with both the identification of that and the purposeful writing to explain it. I would bet, and this is a thought I had while I was watching Menagerie Part 2, was that I will bet that we are actually going to be able to see the Menagerie from Spock's perspective in Strange New World. I think they're heading in that direction. I think they're taking us there and so that, you know, we know that Pike is aware of his fate. We know that he's accepted his fate and we know it's coming and I think we're going to see it. So you mean the part where Spock takes him back? Yep. And I think we're going to, obviously we're not going to see the same thing repeated because that would be kind of silly, but I think we're going to see some version of that story from Spock's perspective. I've thought about how is the series going to end because we know what's going to happen. And my thought was, and it's just a thought, my thought was that the series was going to end when Pike gets transferred to this training ship and that was going to be the end. We're not going to see any of it, but we're going to know what's coming. Yeah, but I think, you know, why reintroduce Vina? True. If we're not going to get that come full circle kind of thing. So it's funny because I have something that I don't understand and never understood from this episode. Okay. <laughs> Which is more quibbling rather than the incredibly in-depth analysis that you just did. <laughs> okay. And we'll talk about some other things here because I just wrote down, you know, all these little thoughts going back and forth here. But at the very end where they show Vina in her true form and she says they've never seen a human before and didn't know how to put her together... I have always thought that was nuts because they are creatures that have two arms, two legs, and a head. Why wouldn't they just, that you know, mirror images on both sides, why wouldn't they just do the same thing with her? Right, and you said that when we did the cage. Did I? Yes. So I'm repeating myself. So, I remembered you saying that when I was watching it today. And that's true. It doesn't make any sense. So I'm repeating myself with the only thing that actually really bothers me about the episode. So let's let's talk a little bit more about, you know, a couple of other thoughts. I thought it was interesting how we went through the menagerie part one without ever really fully understanding the stakes. And it, we didn't get the stakes of the story until the very beginning with the menagerie part two. Right. It's Kirk's career and Pike's life. And I thought that was really interesting how they took us through the entire first episode without really laying it out as clearly and then gave it to us, bam, right at the beginning of the second episode. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. Attention Warehouse fans. Kim and Vicky continue on with the Warehouse theme on the 13th Warehouse with Friday the 13th, the 1988 television series. Follow Mickey, Ryan, and Jack 
as they hunt for cursed antiques sold by Uncle Lewis to unsuspecting and sometimes suspecting patrons of his antique shop. So stick with us on the 13th Warehouse for Friday the 13th, the series. You can listen to the 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. As we got kind of went through the rest of the story about how the Telosians, what they did to Pike, I, I wanted to say that that Rigel 7 set, you know, that painted backdrop, yeah. is one of my favorite pieces of art from the entire series. I just love it. I mean, it is just so quintessential science fiction, you know, the planetoid in the background. I just love it. It's one of my favorite things. There we go. So we get to see the fight on Rigel 7, and I always laugh because can you see the, the spear tip bending when he's poking the guy with the spear? <laughs> it must be rubber, and it's like bending <laughs> instead of going through. always makes me laugh. So, But you know what? Still, even so, and one of the notes I made here is that the production values still look good, and the remastering just brings that out so beautifully right and i think i said that when we were in the discovery episode yeah where they went back i remember us talking about it we weren't really impressed by the bunch of rocks they were standing in front of (laughs) the production value in the original episode was much better i thought than in the discovery episode they were just in front of a bunch of rock with a pond you know yeah and i remember even the telosians i like the original ones yeah me too they didn't look hokey like some of the original series aliens look i don't like how they changed them i liked the bubble head they just pretty much gave them taller heads and i don't think they needed to change it and i didn't think they really needed to change the setting i agree my guess is it would have been just too expensive to replicate which is too bad because you know if you go back and look at science fiction you know like science fiction books from that era and their covers it, it was exactly what the science fiction fan base that science fiction community would have expected, which makes it charming and totally works. And I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. I don't see anything. I mean, maybe the bending of the spear, but (laughs) I don't see anything (laughs) from the original that needed to be upgraded. Yeah, I agree. I wish they stuck closer to the original in Discovery. Sort of a true homage to that era of styling. Right. And there are some aliens that did need to be upgraded. And that's okay. And there's so many other opportunities for them to be creative with their alien design. Right. That it doesn't have to be everywhere. No. No. The other thing that kind of stuck out for me when I was watching this is that at the end when the Telosian says that you are too violent and dangerous a species to serve our needs. And I thought that was such a difference from the sort of positive themes that we get in later Star Trek episodes in later series of how, you know, the human race has so much potential and yeah. the human race is growing. It was such an interesting counter to that and than I, what we see. Right. And I think what they really meant was... We can't enslave these people. They'll rise up against us. Right. I agree. And so those are the notes that I took on this episode. What other thoughts did you have? Well, the only other thing I noticed, which is little, there's a point somewhere along the way. Oh, when um, the Commodore disappears and the Telosians do say that this was all an illusion. The Commodore was never on the shuttle. And last week I said, and I think you said too last week, last episode, we both said that we were always confused about where the... um, illusion started yeah and i don't know how i missed that every time i watched it see i'm gonna argue with that i don't think it could have begun in the shuttle because what did the commodore approach the shuttle and then become an illusion i still am going to stand by my belief 
that it was when he decided to show Captain Kirk the record of the Talos IV expedition. Because then after that, getting on the shuttle together makes sense. Because otherwise, Kirk would have gotten in the shuttle with no one and then the Commodore would have appeared. I don't know. I know what you're saying. That might make sense that um, it began. And again, we, we could be just quibbling. <laughs> Right, right. But I was, oh my God, I've watched this how many times? Well, you're paying attention to different things this time. I guess, I guess. Another quibble I had was that Spock left the room with Pike, and then all of a sudden, the Telosians showed Pike on the surface. Yeah, it was that quick. There wasn't enough time to get him to the transporter room. So did the Telosians maybe take him? But I'm not sure they had that kind of power. Yeah, I wasn't sure either, because it was, it was immediate. Which was nice, and you could tell it was necessary for the timing, because they're throwing up the credits, even as they're showing us the scene. Right. They clearly needed it for the timing of, of the story. Right. Um, but again, that's just a quibble. So another thing, because, you know, they were so concerned about them creating a slave race, you know, and they said he could live his life there until he dies happily. But does that mean they're going to leave him alone? I think so. I think my guess was because I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm going to guess, just sort of filling in the blanks here, that the damage done to Pike has essentially rendered him unable to father children. Oh, true. So it doesn't matter if they have a illusion of health and happiness. It doesn't change the fact that the physical body could not produce children. That's what I'm guessing. That's true. Yeah, because they never actually said. And I was like, well, that's a little weird. He was so determined not to become part of yeah. their Adam and Eve creation of a new civilization. You know, I understand his body's broken and he might want a new life. But it seemed weird to me that he would want to go. But yeah, yeah. that makes sense. But here's the question. Why did the Telosians offer this to him? I was really watching this episode very closely to see if I could see the reason. And the only reason I could think of is that they somehow respected and liked him. And that's entirely possible. I was kind of watching how they how they interacted, you know, like the Keeper interacted. And yeah. I think there was... I could have just been really reading into it, but I could have sworn there was a sort of a... A respect. A respect. And even at the end, here's the thing I think that may have done it. When they said, you are too violent and dangerous a species for our purpose, he immediately went to, is there some other way we can help you? Yeah. And maybe that's what did it. Even after all that had happened that had made him so angry and made him feel abused, even though they were confused by that. He then said, what can we do to help you? Right. So maybe that was it. And that, of course, is very, very in line with the pike that we see in Strange New Worlds. Exactly, yes. Kind of cool. So watching Strange New Worlds made me like this episode even more. Yeah, yes. Because things made more sense to me. And like I said, it's always been one of my favorites. So, I mean, it was pretty high up there to begin with. Yeah, I agree. So anything else to say about Menagerie Part 2? Not really, no. So on a scale from 1 to 10 for the Part 2? I'll give it a 9.5. I give it a 10, despite my quibbles. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, we're we talking off uh, the recording for our listeners. Uh, Vicki and I are talking about other things that we might want to talk about on podcasts. So stay tuned. Uh, we may surprise you with some new content that we're kind of toying around with some ideas with. And so we invite you to... Um, be on the lookout for the next Mom's Going Boldly sometime in the future. I wish we'd get a date for Discovery, and then I could figure out how much time we have. But you know what? If we decide to go embark on a new tangent and we can't finish, I think that's okay. We can just finish when we could get time. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back at some point. <laughs> we will indeed. So we thank you for listening, and we look forward to talking to you guys soon. You can continue exploring the universe with Mom's Going Boldly by following us on Facebook, at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. 
The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.